there, folks. Uh, welcome back to the After Hours live stream of the Mike Seibert Radio podcast. I am your host. Um, how y'all doing on this Monday night? I um, I'm I for one am glad to be out of the snow. Uh, I mean, things are pretty much back to normal here in Seattle. It uh, it rained today, and uh, you would be hard pressed to find any leftover snow. Um, you know, I, I, I think I saw some in the mall where there's like the, the tight, dirty clumps where it's all just dirt and sand and it's, and it's, uh, uh really, really gross. Um, but, uh, before I get too much further, I, I do want to thank, uh, Apollo, Robo Apollo for jumping on with me last week for the snowbound edition of the live stream. That was a lot of fun. It, it was, uh, it, it gave me an opportunity to kind of experiment a little bit and do, uh, something different and something I hadn't done before. I learned a lesson though, in that I understand why most broadcasts are done inside. Like I, uh, I work for a radio station and even then, uh, li actual live broadcasts, um, outside aren't a thing that are, that's done especially often, but, uh, but, but it was, it was fun to do, uh, something different. Well, where, where I'm going with that is you might have noticed that that audio hasn't made it out onto the Mike Seibert radio podcast, uh, podcast feeds. And I don't know that it will. <laughs> um, cause like I, uh, I, I downloaded the audio and, uh, Char sounds fine. Uh, you know, Apollo sounds great as, as always, but um there there were some issues on my side like i i think like the the static in the air was uh was causing some short circuiting in the lines or something um i i i think for my own amusement i might dink around with it a little bit see if i can uh resurrect the audio or at least process it in such a way to where it uh it, it might still be usable but for um for as busy as i have been with work uh, this last week in the wake of snowpocalypse. Um, I, I just, I just haven't had the time and I saw that it was a project that wasn't going to come together quickly. So, uh, <laughs> I kind of swiftly, uh, lost interest. So, uh, my apologies right off the bat, uh, for folks that were, uh, looking to get the audio for that, but you can still check out the live stream. The video is still up on uh, Twitch and YouTube and Facebook and, uh, and Twitter as well. Um, but yeah, I, I thought uh, for this Monday night show, I talk a little TV. Now, generally when I talk TV, I bring on my dude, Dave Sanders, and occasionally I, uh, well, actually, I, I don't think me and Ant have actually talked TV. He and I talk a lot of TV on Twitter DMs, and uh, um, yeah, we, we, we just kind of chat TV a lot, uh, not necessarily on podcasts, but I know he's a huge fan of when I do TV-related topics, so I... I, uh, there were a few things that kind of uh, came across my desk in the last week or so. And I just thought I would just kind of, uh, riff and chat for, uh, a few minutes, a, a few TV, uh, related things. Um, uh, as we go throughout the show, I also want to talk about, 
uh, kind of binge culture. And we might even talk a little bit of uh, Snyder Cut as well, because uh, I've uh, I, I've just recently booked a guest interview uh, for the next couple of weeks that I'm uh, share with you and talk about. But for now, let's uh, let's uh, uh, actually, you know, before we turn our attention to TV, uh, some uh, uh, breaking news uh, earlier today, uh, Daft Punk, uh, RIP, um, uh, Daft Punk has uh, called it quits after 28 years, after nearly 30 years, the uh, French music duo Daft Punk have announced their retirement uh, via a video that they posted, um, and their longtime publicist has confirmed uh, the split as fans thank the group for uh for their music so daft punk has been um all over uh twitter and socials and i i kind of wanted to start with that because like i i think like one of the uh last things i saw before i started going into prep mode here for the the show tonight is daft punk had uh posted on their youtube channel a video called epilogue it runs about eight minutes and that's really been their only formal announcement um that that they're done as a uh, duo as a group and i i want to talk about this video because it it reminds me of I, I i watch a lot of star wars and i watch a lot of transformers so i'm accustomed to seeing characters often with no faces emoting so it was interesting to see these two uh characters in their non-expressive helmets uh sharing uh parting glances and and again i i've i've seen enough transformers and i've, I've seen enough uh, star wars to know that even though you can't see the face that doesn't mean that the emotions aren't there um i don't want to necessarily spoil the outcome of the video, but I, I was surprised. It's just like, oh, um, so so this band is done now. Okay, great. And it was, uh, yeah, like I said, it was, uh, it was really shocking. But um, uh, check out that video if you haven't yet. It's uh, it's called Epilogue. It's uh, about eight minutes from Daft Punk, and I'd say about like five minutes of it is kind of the uh, story, if you will and it's a uh, it's very much a slow burn like you i i would recommend having some patience built up uh before uh before you go to watch that but anyway that um that the first five minutes kind of uh sets the table and then the uh last three minutes is the uh the the titular um epilogue but yeah no i just i i thought i would start with that because like i um uh, daft punk is uh a group, a scene, a, a type of music that I kind of that that I kind of take or leave that that I pick up and put down. Like I had, I had a huge uh, Daft Punk and Electronica uh, phase in in mid high school, as as I'm sure a lot of folks uh, my age did, and um, so yeah, it was something that kind of stuck with me, and I I would kind of check in every now and again and. Um, I, I always thought I, um, I was talking with a buddy of mine, uh, earlier, we, we were talking about the Super Bowl and, and the weekend, uh, performing. And I, I made this comment saying like, well, you know, 
uh, sure would be better if Daft Punk would show up because we all know the best weekend songs have have uh, featured Daft Punk. So anyway, I just uh, um, it's it's not something that I would say I was a voracious fan of, but it's something to where, you know, I I, uh, I, I spent a little bit of my evening here on a mini uh, revisit deep dive, uh, shallow deep dive of uh, Daft Punk's music. And I forgot the patience that it would take to listen to a five minute electronic dance song and to where the whole crux of it is around the world, around the world, around the world, around the world. I love that song, but it's uh, um, it tests your patience. Anyway, RIP Daft Punk. Um, uh, so let's uh, let's move on to TV. And uh, I, as I said, I brought this up because in I, I, I've had a lot of interaction with folks on uh, social media lately, enough to where I thought ah, it'd be it'd be fun to just kind of talk about this on uh, on the podcast uh, uh, live stream. Uh, the first show I want to talk about is uh, the Equalizer. You know, I, I had mentioned the um, uh, Super Bowl earlier, and uh, Super Bowl was played on CBS, and they use that as a launching platform for the new rebooted Equalizer TV show starring Queen Latifah. And uh, so we watched it after the game and we've, I think they've had one episode since um, and it's totally fine. Now, keeping in mind, and I guess I have to uh, restate my perspective on on my tv viewing because as you'll listen throughout the show you'll find that some of my habits are kind of weird and some of my philosophy is kind of weird but my wife and i we watch a lot of cbs programming we are network tv folks we do some streaming um and and certainly in 2020 and with the pandemic and Actually, really, the pandemic just kind of having this domino effect of different content not being available. Like, for example, we're not going to the movies, uh, so we're watching more TV. And at a time where there's less network TV, we're finding TV in other places, in, in this case, uh, streaming. But um, first and foremost, we go to our DVR and... You know, that, that, that's really what kind of rules our uh, network TV uh, watching. So I was in the bag for a reboot of Equalizer as soon as they showed promos for it. Um, it was it was a concept I always liked. It was a show that I always liked. Um, and I thought it would be um, I, I thought it would be a pretty cool uh, vehicle for uh, Queen Latifah in a kind of uh, a second act um, uh, action adventure uh, type of role. I, I, th I, I think I think that's a cool look on her. Um, but as uh, in in the wake of the show's premiere, uh, folks have uh, kind of been disappointed that it's not more like the movie, you know, the the Denzel Washington movie. And um, I, I don't want to necessarily get uh, too uh, terribly deep into Equalizer lore, but I, it's it's the movies, uh, both of them, uh, that that are kind of the outliers. Uh, this new Equalizer TV show 
uh, really kind of is more of a reboot of the original uh, TV show uh, from the 80s. And actually, so um, uh, the TV show ran uh, from 1985 to 1989. And it, uh, it I just this is like one of my favoriteest things to say. Um, it, it starred uh, Edward Woodward, Edward Woodward, <laughs> um, as a, a veteran actor, uh, Edward Woodward. Edward Woodward um, as a retired intelligence agent with a mysterious past who uses his skills from his former career to exact justice on behalf of innocent people who find themselves in dangerous uh, circumstances. So that's 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 kind of the, the basic gist of it. And that and that basic thread, uh, plus carrying the name of the protagonist, McCall, um, carries over through all three iterations of the Equalizer. But um, uh, so this is from Wikipedia. This is the series plot elements of the original Equalizer show. Uh, the series starred British actor Edward Woodward, Edward Woodward, as Robert McCall, a former covert operations officer of an unnamed U.S. government intelligence organization, which was often referred to as quote, the agency or, quote, the company uh, who tried to atone for his past by offering, usually free of charge, his services as a troubleshooter, a protector, and an investigator. People in need found him through a newspaper classified ad uh, saying, quote, got a problem, odds against you, call the equalized, gives a phone number. When he began the business in the pilot episode, it was revealed the nickname Equalizer was bestowed on him by an operative named Brahms, uh, aided by a group of sometimes mysterious contacts, some of whom dated back to his spying days. McCall tra traversed the streets of New York City, delivered justice upon bullies, corrupt police and politicians, hoodlums, mobster, mobsters, not mobsters. That would have been cool, though. Edward Woodward v. Monsters? Anyway, uh, uh, he uh, fought mobsters, murderers, kidnappers, drug dealers, and the other truly deserving uh, people. Uh, quote, people do not, uh, do not do anything you will never live to regret, he tells a whole bunch of double men. Um, anyway, you get the idea. Um, this, uh, this new show with Queen Latifah kind of... Um, kind of follows those same tropes for 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 what we can see uh, so far. The movie, on the other hand, kind of takes a, a kind of different perspective in that it casts Denzel Washington as almost like this uh, uh, Liam Neeson style, uh, uh, special set of skills, elder action star. Um, and you know, the the whole gag with like setting the watch and and beating people up and all that that that's all just um uh manufactured for the movie but more to that i think the problem that folks have with the equalizer on cbs is that and and actually this is kind of the reason why i like it it follows pretty much the same formula as pretty much every other cbs ensemble action drama of like the last 15 years you know take your pick your your csis your ncis your uh, uh criminal minds to to an extent um cbs loves their primetime ensemble dramas and 
what I've observed over the last several years as CBS has kind of taken old properties and rebooted them, like, say, SWAT or uh, Hawaii Five-O. Uh, for for a couple examples, is that they've, you know, taken these legacy nostalgia names and refreshed them, given them, uh, you know, young sexy actors, a fresh coat of paint, and um, and been quite successful uh, with uh, with that format. Now, the the other uh, complaint uh, against Equalizer is that. It's like, wait a sec, I thought this was like, you know, like a one person thing. And really, in the classic Equalizer show, you know, uh, Edward Woodward is kind of like a, a, a one man band type of thing. He's got allies and operatives and things like that, but he doesn't necessarily have um, a team. Now, in the Equalizer, they establish that there's a, a team. There's the requisite uh, computer person. And then there's a uh, another sassy operative uh, sniper type character, um, all of which are totally fine. Um, and that kind of gets into the other template of CBS reboots. Um, you have something like, say, like MacGyver or Magnum No Comma PI, where it takes the concept of a solo hero and repurposes it rebrands it as as a team ensemble action drama to make it fit in that that ncis type mold again to to make it a a cbs show and so for me the show the equalizer ticks all of those boxes and I've compared this style of programming before to, uh, you, know, you know, meat and potatoes or like meatloaf or, you know, so, some kind of, you know, comfort style food. It's, it's not especially substantive. And in other times, it's not even especially good, but it's totally fine. And what I have found why I like network shows is because they are truly episodic i i think gone are the days of 24 where you have you know 20 plus episodes of a show strung together in a serial storyline you know shows like 24 lost um i i'm i'm sure there's uh other ones that that i'm uh neglecting but i i don't think that network tv does that ambitious style of storytelling and i think in the post um netflix streaming binge space that uh those types of stories get told there um i mean you have you have a bit of it on uh cable um i mean i i guess to an extent walking dead is kind of like that it, i mean it's i mean it's it, it's serialized but it's still episodic and i think that's where television is at its best i don't particularly care for uh television series that are just one long story that are arbitrarily chopped up into chapters like th this is kind of this this became my gripe with contemporary comic books in that like you know you would have uh, creators essentially 
writing for the trade, you know, the, the inevitable collected graphic novel trade paperback collection of a particular story. But if you pick up like issue three, there really isn't anything. It just happens to be the third chapter. Um, we talked about the Netflix Transformers series, uh, the War for Cybertron series, uh, Siege and Earthrise, respectively. And the biggest difference between Siege and Earthrise is that Siege is like one two-hour movie that's chopped into, into six pieces. Earthrise, on the other hand, is six episodes of a uh, larger story. And I, I think that that difference makes a difference but I also think that kind of speaks to uh, changing tastes and shifting interests. And when we talk about WandaVision in a, in a few, um, I, I, think, I think that's kind of like the, the, the weird crux of all of this. It's like, when is television not television? That, that kind of thing. Um, but again, like I... I, I like my CBS programming because I mean, it's, it's something that I can just throw on and enjoy. And that's, that's another thing too. And I'll, uh, um, I'll touch on this in, in a mi minute when I, when, uh, when I talk about the next few shows I want to discuss, um, I've recently discovered that I appreciate the, uh, tame safety of network television. Um, because like as i've become more adventurous in my viewing and have watched things that are on unrated streaming platforms i've had more than a couple uh uh clutches pearls moment um like i i still haven't gotten through season two of the boys yet um i i got through season one and my uh my perspective my perspective and and this was me having read the comic books also but i'm just like ooh, it's a it's a little spicy for my taste it's a it's a little uh a little intense um but i'll come back to that in a sec i i um i i do kind of want to round things out with this uh um cbs network stuff and i saw a uh article in variety uh, i think uh i i think nick sent it to me um yeah, yeah, I know. In fact, I know he did. Uh, Nick shared it with me on Facebook. He, uh, it's uh, the headline of the article in Variety: NCIS Hawaii spinoff in the works at CBS. And um, I, I, I'm not going to go through the article, but basically, it's it's yet another NCIS spinoff uh, adding to the uh ncis infinity gauntlet uh joining uh ncis new orleans and ncis uh los angeles and i think that this is a good move because with magnum no comma pi being uh taking place on oahu and being produced uh, largely in hawaii they do tons of uh, location shooting there um it makes logical sense to have more than one production uh, being being done simultaneously. Like uh, up until last year, uh, both Magnum PI and Hawaii Five O were both 
you know, kind of, uh, kind of dual production. In fact, they're, they're, they're in a, they're in a shared cinematic universe. So, um, they've, uh, you know, they, they had, uh, crossed over a couple times and there's actually, um, a, a couple few characters from the old Hawaii Five O show that, um, that do still kind of live in the world of, uh, Magnum PI. Um, so I think it's smart that if you're making one show on Hawaii already, why not make two? So yeah, I mean, I why why not make two, and to offset some of the potential risk of launching a new show, why not brand it NCIS? That that seems that seems like a bulletproof way of doing that. Um, I did see the article though, and I I almost thought it was a joke at first because that. That seems like something that that you would see like in uh, in the Onion or <laughs> or whatever. Um, last thing on NCIS, and you know, I'm not I'm not going to do any, any spoilers, but I had uh, I had mentioned that I often talk TV with uh, with my good buddy Anthony Brucali, uh, Ant from TFU.info, the uh, the Toy Archive. Uh, the podcast uh, Transformers University and oh so much more, but <laughs> uh, uh, he and I occasionally chat about about NCIS and as you might recall from some of my previous episodes, I've I've been pretty critical of this season of regular flavor NCIS and their handling of uh, the pandemic, uh, where more or less what they did was scroll the clocks back to where the episodes took place in November 2019 to kind of get away from uh, whatever uh, uh, contemporary uh, things they wanted to handle, which I guess in retrospect uh, is a good move because they probably had those episodes in the can and didn't want to necessarily uh, repurpose them in the way that other shows like SWAT did. I, I talked about that uh, extensively in other episodes don't want to necessarily uh, uh, rehash it here. But the thing that did crack me up though, and I don't know if, if I saw this going a different direction, but uh, without spoilers, basically that, that storyline that takes place in November, 2019 resolves itself. And I can't take credit for this joke. Uh, Ant sent it to me. Basically, uh, there is a, um, a main character that is uh, riddled with several sniper bullets, and and they they are, you know, you know, within inches of their life. Um, and literally in the in the next episode, totally fine. And uh, as Ant pointed out to me on Twitter, it's very much the ending of G.I. Joe, the movie where where they get over the intercom and they're like, by the way, Duke's OK. He's a uh, he, he's totally coming out of his coma. <laughs> and it just it just it just really cracked me up. It's it's just it's just goofy uh, storytelling, I suppose. But and this is a, a um, mild mild gentle spoiler for uh, current episodes of NCIS. I had mentioned that they had originally elected to handle the coronavirus uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic by just avoiding it. A lot of shows have, others haven't. Um, but 
they decided then spoilers so maybe jump ahead like you know a minute or, or so I, i'm talking directly to ant because i know he told me that uh um he's not caught up but um so yeah uh, uh punch out spoilers in in three two one they uh they do a time jump so it goes from uh, November 2019 to the the evergreen uh, setting of present day. Show opens up, it's in present day. And so now the characters are running around in masks, just like their, their um, counterparts on NCIS New Orleans and others. And it does crack me up, though, because like in these cop shows, where folks are are showing wearing masks they will enter a scene together from from distance like you'll have several actors or characters and and they'll maintain like a six feet social distance but as soon as they get in as they walk into the scene they take off their masks and have dialogue and it's it's just one of the one of those goofy uh, tv contrivances things and because i mean you can't have your principal actors just you know, just, uh, um, you know, just in their mask the whole time. And, and this is just what we're doing for the entirety of the show. Yeah, no, it, it just, you can't do that. And I, I get it. And, but I, as I've said before in other places, I kind of like that there's at least some kind of like visual representation that, hey, things aren't quite uh, uh back to normal as uh as the saying goes but the the thing that that also cracked me up is not only did they they do this time jump but they have incorporated the pandemic into their storylines where um if you haven't punched out yet again uh a mild gentle spoilers uh but basically um unseen character is killed off during the time jump and basically he must have just got rona i don't know um it's it, it's it's being handled very clumsily and uh not quite as ridiculous as the ncis new orleans perspective of having a coronavirus being like the zombie plague but it, it's it's kind of close it's kind of lame but um but Duke's going to be okay. Uh, so um, uh, moving on as, uh, as we reach about the halfway point here, um, I have a, I have a scorcher of a hot take. That's not necessarily an incredibly hot take, but I have talked briefly about um, a show that we uh, jumped on during the pandemic called Yellowstone. Now, Yellowstone is uh, is a show that's on uh, something called the Paramount Network. I didn't know that the Paramount Network was even a thing. Apparently, it's uh, it, it's it, it's whatever Spike TV used to be at one point. And I think it's even had like a couple other name changes uh, since. But weirdly enough, it's the only original program being produced by Paramount Network very weird but basically it um this is the show that i talked about a couple few months ago that we uh, i don't want to say strong-armed that's not accurate but more or less we we had uh the the show is popular amongst members of my family and some of our mutual friends and basically what it was is like oh man you need to watch yellowstone why aren't you watching yellowstone uh, yellowstone this yellowstone that you need you, and and come to find out, it is uh, 
um, it, it's like the most popular show on TV in terms of like cable ratings and, and whatever. Um, but the thing that kind of frustrated me is that any time that we would, that we, that I would ask, I, I'm like, okay, well, cool. We'll, we'll give it to Dan Court. What's it about? Oh, it's so good. It's so good. You got to watch it. And it's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm glad that it's so good. What the hell is the show about? So um, basically, and, and nobody ever gave me a straight answer. You know, it's like, uh, you know, some folks called it like a family drama, uh, kind of similar to like Dallas, you know, back in the day. Um, I wouldn't use that description because um, that's not what it is. So I go to the Wikipedia again and um, Yellowstone is uh, described as uh, a series that follows the conflicts along the shared border of a large cattle ranch, a native reservation and land developers. Um, and that's, that's really about it. I, I thought I had a better description in front of me here. Oh, here we go. Uh, Yellowstone follows the Dutton family, own, owners of the largest ranch in the United States. The plots revolve around family drama and the bordering native reservations and national park. That was the piece I was missing, is that that apparently the, this Dutton ranch also borders the titular Yellowstone, uh, Yellowstone, the Yellowstone ranch. Um, no, no, they call it the Dutton ranch but it's also Yellowstone. I don't know. I, I've watched three seasons of this and I, I still can't keep it straight. Um, my hottest take on it, I don't like it. Um, and I don't like it, not because it's bad, though I don't think it's it, it's it, it's as great as, uh, as folks are saying it is. Um, uh, no offense intended to any of my uh, family and or friends that might be watching or listening, but it's it, it's just not for me. And it's not because it's a Western and it's not because it's, you know, Kevin Costner being grouchy all the time. It's well, it is all of that. But for me, it's too intense. And what, what I mean by that is that it is shockingly violent. Uh, the language is especially crass. And, you know, there's 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 sex and nudity and and murders and graphic violence. And it's, you know, I, I think 20 years ago, I, I'd have, I'd have ate this up, you know, because like that, that's a time when I'm, you know, watching stuff like uh, Rescue Me and The Shield on on FX, where that was like edgy program, edgy programming where like, you know, somebody would like say shit and it and it's shocking this every third word is the F word. And I have a pretty salty mouth. Um, I, I try to keep it clean here, but you know, when, uh, you know, when I'm just talking to folks, you know, it's like, I, you know, I, 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 I drop F bombs and, and things like that. So, so it's, but coming from the perspective of, preferring the kind of more sanitized network TV aspect, it was kind of uh, shocking, I, I guess is the only word that I can use to uh, keep this conversation going is that, yeah, it was just, um, it was just like, I, I, I just don't understand the appeal. For me, the characters 
are aggressively unlikable. Um, there are some characters that I think through uh, the social media accounts for for the show are kind of uh, meant to be aspirational figures, but they're not. Like in in a way, I, I guess I guess let me put it this way: kind of like in a a post edge lord incel type of thing, folks that that find uh, the Joker to be an aspirational figure, or Walter White and the characters for Breaking Bad. You know where where you can I I understand that you can have a show where your protagonist, or in this case, protagonists, are villains. Uh, Sons of Anarchy, for example, you know, things like that. But I just, I, I, I just, I just don't know if my, it's because my own personal taste has changed, but I just, I, I just, I, I got no time for it. And, um, and Lucky just loves it. And because like I, uh, um, I, I wrote into another podcast I, I listened to and I said, you know what? We binged all three seasons of it and I absolutely hate it. And my wife loves it. And when they read my message on the podcast, they were like, well, you must like it. You watched all three seasons of it. And I'm like, for me, I, I can, I can say from an informed standpoint that I don't like it because I've watched all of it and and uh, all all three seasons and I don't know it's I, I I don't I don't I I keep telling myself or telling you that I might do like a deeper dive show where I'm actually like going through some of the episodes and substantiating uh, some of my claims because right here now I'm just lashing out and saying like, oh, well, you know, this, 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 these are terrible, awful people. And I, I guess the, the, the thing, the thing that, that I've told Lucky, because my wife and I have talked about this and I get very attitudinal about stuff I don't like, um, like, and, and I'll tune out. I'll just like pick up my phone and, and that's caused problems also. Um, but I, it just, it, it, it just, it, it just doesn't work for me. And the thing that that I've said point blank is because I don't have anybody to root for. You know, uh, Kevin Costner, the the uh, patriarch of this family, is um, he, he's he's an awful person. Um, you know, kills people, has people killed. You know, it's it, it's if somebody had told me that this was a crime drama, like say like the Sopranos. In fact, that's, that's the best example. If you had told me that it's, it's the Sopranos on a ranch, I would have totally understood and would have been able to calibrate my expectations correctly. But if you're telling me that it's, that it's a family drama and it's so good that, that I think underscores what the show really is and it, it's kind of frustrating to me also because like the uh the the show creator a time a, a series of well a, a, a couple of modern western movies that i really like uh um uh, hell or high water um wind river and there's a third one that i that i can't think of off the top of my head but they're 
but you know these are like you know contemporary style westerns which i like um i i like you know like the the moral gray ambiguity my problem with yellowstone is that it's it's not hell or high water colon the series it's something else entirely and it's i don't know it just it, it just it just feels very um flat for me and but i landed on something though it's like oh well once i realized that kevin costner and his increasingly awful children are the villains of the story you know then then maybe that that gives me something to hang on to but yeah i just i i i i think my taste has changed enough to where i just i don't i don't have a lot of patience for aggressively unlikable characters and for um they're not even hero or, or sorry um they're not even anti-heroes like like i would say like you know like uh uh michael chiklis's character in uh, the shield vic Mackey, he's he's kind of an anti-hero um in that i mean he does villainous awful things but it's still kind of like in his um crooked kaleidoscope version of what he perceives justice to be kevin costner on the other hand is just driven by blind greed of legacy like you know that there there's a scene in season one um where he shoes off uh, a bunch of uh, tourists uh from his land um basically what happens is is uh this uh th this tour bus sees like a bear or something and they, they get off and they take a bunch of pictures and and of course they're they're asian tourists so you know you, you've got a lot of uh, uncomfortable stereotypes there and kevin costner comes shoes them off and uh like the tour guide or one of the tourists said something it's like well how can all of this land be yours you know uh where we come from you know land is shared and all of that and and kevin costner you know like channeling as much uh gross chud toby keith energy looks at this dude right in the eye and says this is america we don't share land and to me i'm just like I know everything I need to know about this uh, this television show. Going just, uh, it's not good. It's a, it, it's not my favorite. But um, uh, apparently, there's a prequel series coming out uh, on the uh, Paramount Plus, which will be the rebranded version of CBS All Access. Uh, that, in fact, that should actually be happening in the in the next few weeks. Um, so I, I'm sure we'll watch that. And you know, it, it's you know, Grumpy Cowboy begins. I don't know. Whoa, those were some seriously hot takes. How do you feel about it? Let Mike know on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike Cyber Radio. But I did want to talk about, and, and I realized that that um, I, I've kind of uh, crapped on too long, and um, I, I think I'm going to run out of time for some of my topics. But I also wanted to talk about an alternative that that I have found that I like quite a lot. It's a show called Longmire. It's not a new show. It it ran on uh, A&E uh, from like 2012 through, um, see if I can find it here, uh, 2012 through 2017. So, oh, actually what it looks like, and I didn't realize this. Um, so it ran on A&E from 2012 to 2014, 
but then moved to Netflix on 20 uh, from 2015 to 2017. So it actually kind of like um, uh, split the difference between the two. I did not know that until just right now. Uh, we found it on Netflix and I, I was in the search for a alternative to Yellowstone. I, I, you know, kind of wanted an itch for a contemporary Western um, and Justified is on Hulu and I disconnected Hulu because I wasn't watching it. Um, but but I've, I've been told that those are the two uh, shows as far as contemporary Westerns go. It's, you know, it's, it's Justified and it's Longmire. Longmire was on uh, Netflix, so that's, that's what we watched. We got through the first season and I like it quite a bit. Um, the, the series is based on the Walt Longmire Mysteries. Uh, it's a series of novels and it centers on Walt Longmire, a sheriff in a, uh, a fictional Wyoming county. He is assisted by staff, friends, and his daughter in investigating uh, major crimes within his jurisdiction. So it is a, um, you know, it, it's a, I, I guess, uh, police procedural, you know, kind of uh, uh, reskinned as a as a contemporary western, but it's it, it's exactly what I want. Um, and since it's a uh, uh, cable instead of network, you know, there there's um you know you, you got your occasional s word, and you know you've got uh, some increased violence, but nothing uh, uh, nothing terrible, and it's certainly more tame. Than Yellowstone, so it's exactly what uh what I want. Uh, uh, Katie Sackhoff is is great in it. Uh, Lou Diamond Phillips is is a national treasure. So um, it, it's it it's a really neat show. So there there are uh, six seasons. Uh, the last two again were produced uh, specifically uh, by Netflix. So it was one of those uh, uh revival. Uh, type of things, and I am eager to check it out, having gone through like the first uh, ten episodes uh, for uh, season one. And and again, it just um, I think that's what I wanted. I, I I wanted I wanted a show about you know I I'm I'm cool with uh, heroes that are rough around the edges. You know, so like you know uh, Walt Longmire is. Uh, you know, he, he's, he can be testy and he's abrupt and he's brusque and doesn't have, you know, all of them city folk, social graces and, and things like that. But, you know, you find as a investigator and as a police officer, sheriff that, you know, he's, you know, very, very competent and, you know, almost a uh, Columbo-esque, um, and I, I, I'm cool with that. You know, like, like I said, um, my problem with Yellowstone is that I don't know who to root for. I have no problem, uh, rooting for Longmire and all of his friends. So, um, that's, I guess that that's kind of been percolating, uh, for a few with me. I wanted to come back to Yellowstone because I never really had after I just kind of like threw it out as a, as a statement one time, but, um, yeah, I really like Longmire, really don't like Yellowstone. Moving on. Um, let's see. Uh, let's, um, let's talk about WandaVision on the, on the Disney Plus. Now, um, no spoilers. I, I, uh, you know, because I don't know who's got Disney Plus and I don't know who's caught up and I'm just kind of ambushing you here 
uh, this on the on the live stream. So I, 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 I'm anyway, no spoilers. You're fine. Um, but I wanted to call out a article that I found in IndieWire. Actually, this is just a tweet. I and OK, I'll read the tweet, but then then I'll, I will read part of the article. Uh, IndieWire tweets after six episodes, so this was a week or so ago, after six episodes, WandaVision still feels far too much like an inflated feature film that just keeps dragging out its story via incoherent weekly installments. Here's why. And a link. I click on the link. And it's a review for episode number six. WandaVision review episode six gets trapped in a less than spooktacular Halloween dash spoilers. I'm not going to read this. All dressed up with nowhere to go. Um, quote, uh, uh, oh, it's the episode title. An all new episode. Uh, stop. <laughs> all dressed up with nowhere to go. An all new episode. I still read this wrong. I'm going to have fun editing this out of the podcast version. All dressed up. With nowhere to go, all new Halloween Spooktacular offers plenty of colorful distractions without adding much to the story. And then scrolling through this review from IndieWire, that's all it is, is a review for episode number six of WandaVision. And it doesn't really get back into the clickbait of what, what its, its uh, premise here in the tweet is. But I wanted to riff on this for for a moment because th this is kind of uh, the criticism uh, of WandaVision that I've heard. First of all, I'm digging it. I um, I liked it from Jump. There's uh, there are going to be nine episodes total, seven of which have aired. and as you can see, you've probably seen in commercials one of the tropes conceits of the show is that it emulates uh classic tv sitcom tropes um really very effective the when the show first aired it put up the first two episodes and um, I, I don't know if this is a, a spoiler or not, so tread lightly, but basically the, the first two episodes are fully immersed in the, uh, the trappings of a sitcom. Uh, so you're, you're just kind of thrown in face first into the sitcom world and you as the viewer audience member are not really given anything to work with. And then the episode just ends. And what I've seen in the discourse surrounding WandaVision over the, the last uh, several weeks is that folks have been kind of impatient with the way that that narrative has been unfolding. Um, I had a buddy of mine at work that watched the first two episodes and then rage quit. He's like, you know, if I want to watch the Dick Van Dyke show, I'll just watch the Dick Van Dyke show. I don't need this, this, uh, this WandaVision trying to emulate, um, that, that just doesn't do anything. And I, I think it's, oh, it, it, it's so, it's so interesting. The, the criticisms leveled at the Marvel, uh, style, I guess, uh, the, the Marvel cinematic universe, um, 
Because like on one hand, one of the criticisms is that, well, they figured out the blueprint and all of the movies are the same. I remember talking about this uh, a couple years ago, a couple few years ago now when uh, when Black Panther came out and uh, some folks that I talked to said, well, I like the movie, but I would have liked it better if it came out like five years ago, um, like around the same time as like Iron Man or the 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 first Thor, first Captain America, whatever, because it feels like the exact same movie as those a valid criticism that I don't specifically agree with, but WandaVision on the other hand goes the other direction. It's, it's incredibly ambitious and it makes some daring ass choices. And, um, what I like as kind of like a, like a TV geek is that how faithfully these TV sitcoms are, uh, recreated to the point and again i don't know if this is this is spoilers or not because i think you can see it in in the previews but it um these the texture of these sitcoms is recreated so faithfully down to the aspect ratio and uh the um uh the audio presentation the when when it's like the the 50s and 60s sitcoms it's in mono when it's outside of that realm it's in stereo so it's it's they they do some really cool stuff especially as the series progresses they do some really cool stuff with aspect ratio and and uh um sound design hopefully that's not a spoiler but um i i i think the show is sublime and now that uh it's getting towards the end I can kind of see where it's going to wrap up and I think it's going to end in typical Marvel fashion where there's probably going to be a blue laser, uh, uh, you know, shooting into the clouds. I'm sure there's going to be some kind of superhero fight. And for me though, I am going to be pining for the times it's like, Hey, Remember when we were doing those sitcoms? Let's go back and do that because that that was a lot of fun. Um, both Elizabeth Olsen and uh, Paul Bettany as Vision and the Scar- Scarlet Witch, uh, uh, respectively, are terrific. Um, I, I think this is the the best acting of them in these roles throughout all of the movies that 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 they've been in. It's uh, um, the acting is just um stellar and is uh is really good so um what what i told my friend at work is i go what i think i think your problem is is well, i'll tell you what your problem is no um wh- what i told him is i i go i think i don't think you have the patience to watch this show unfold like i think you would be uh you would probably like it better if you sat through and binged it read with me because like if um you know if if we're watching all nine episodes kind of shotgun back to back to back those first two episodes when we're fully immersed in uh the the sitcom world you know it's it's not as noticeable it just goes by quickly but if that's the only thing that you get for that week then that um that makes a difference now 
I, uh, I I tweeted a response to this uh, to this IndieWire article. You know th- that again, as a reminder, says after six episodes, WandaVision still feels too much like an inflated feature film that just keeps dragging out its story via inconvenient weekly installments. And and that's why I wanted to touch on inconvenient weekly installments. So I tweeted. I go. So this is almost like wait for it a television show made for television. Um, binge, streaming, binge streaming has rotted people's brains. And I think that with Netflix and other streaming services, it has wrecked our perception of how we enjoy and how we consume TV. WandaVision is specifically uh, made as a TV show to be shown on TV. It's not a single movie that's been chopped into six parts. Each episode of the show has had a unique tone and flavor. And while the plot revelations, I would say, would be slow, I also know as many folks that appreciate a slow burn. And I think that in, especially now with the pandemic, I think that the instant gratification of like, for example, me discovering Longmire, well, the show is done. There are only six seasons of it and there's six seasons of it. So, you know, there's, you know, some 70 something episodes um that that i can go watch now on one hand that's also kind of intimidating which that's that's kind of my problem it's just like oh man i want to find a new show um seven seasons of 20 episodes each yikes um that's just a weird amount of commitment that i i don't know if i can do um but whereas a lot of other folks would just you know, they, they would just shotgun it like like so much cheap beer. And I think that's kind of where where folks are at anymore, because like I, I would say that that network TV, the stuff that I'm into is kind of passe and is is kind of, you know, outdated. Uh, this uh, the same buddy at work told me um, last year when we were talking about Mandalorian and I told him I, I was like, well, if all of the episodes of these Disney Plus series, whether they be Mandalorian or WandaVision or the the upcoming uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier or any of the slate of upcoming stuff of which we know there is quite a lot coming up. Um, I, I think that there's value in the water cooler discussion and his assertion is that it's frustrating that a streaming platform is emulating the outdated model of weekly television in that more or less the the netflix model of putting out everything all at once has wrecked our perception of you know how how we watch stuff now for me personally and again, this is just this is just a weird mic thing. I don't like 
actually to consume too much of any one thing at any one time. So um, an example I, I've brought up a couple times tonight is the Netflix War for Cybertron uh, Transformer series, uh, Siege and Earthrise. They're Netflix shows. So when they debuted and those episodes dropped, I'm sorry, when, when those series dropped, it was all six episodes. You, you could, you know, you could uh, tune in at midnight and watch through all of it. And many people did. I did not. I, I think the most that I watched of either series was maybe like two episodes at a time. It took me like a month to get through Seed. It took me like, oh, I don't know, maybe a week, maybe more, um, two weeks tops uh, to get through Earthrise. And there's, and this, the, this might have to do with my kind of self-imposed role as a content creator, but I, 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 when you're trying to grind through content just for the sake of grinding through it so that you can review it, I don't know if that's, um, if that, if that's necessarily the best way to go. Um, because I don't, I don't know if I'm enjoying the content as much if I'm just, if I'm just grinding through it, um, out of obligation. Uh, that's a, that's a hard one, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I just, it, it's weird how polarizing this WandaVision has become in that you have even um division amongst the marvel zombies where uh folks are watching uh three episodes of wandavision saying like well well man wh when is something going to happen and you know because they, they want to have the the whiz bang special effects fueled action and you know sometimes it's okay to just let something unfold and i would say that it's it's rewarding to just steep in something and and to reflect and think about it and i think that's the part that's missing uh from binge culture is that like you know you'll um and, and again i i i found this with the with the transformer series is like i i didn't really take time to think about any one given episode um because it's just you know it's it, it's just on to the next and i think that siege works as a binge well you know where am i going with that because i mean siege is one long story chopped into six pieces whereas earthrise is six individual episodes i've already i've already litigated that strike that from the record <laughs> but no i just um like I said, I, I think it's just me. I, I um, you know, even if I've got like a stack of comic books and I have like too many Batman comics, I'll just be like, OK, well, maybe I'll just read these. Um, I, I don't like to consume too much of any one thing. Your uh, your mileage uh, might vary. Uh, one, uh, two last things on uh, WandaVision. One, um, one of the characters, and this is not a spoiler because it's in all the promotional uh, material, but they, uh, there's a character named uh, Monica Rambo, and she's a um, legacy character from the comics. Was actually Captain Marvel at at, at a, um, one point uh, during the '80s on the on the West Coast Avengers, but 
I've, I've been trying to figure this out and I have to go back and watch the Captain Marvel movie too, because I, that pronunciation just bothers me. It's like, you know, it, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it, it's, I, I just imagine it's more of a, a, um, Creole style, um, you know, B E A U, uh, is, is how it's spelled, but everybody pronounces it Rambo, like the, the, uh, Sylvester Stallone, uh, character. Um, I don't even know why I brought that up now that, now that I think about it, but it, it, it just bugged me. Um, uh, last thing. You know what? No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to skip it because I, I would have to uh, bring it up on a screen share and it's a visual daily double. But at, at the um, at the end of the first two episodes of uh, WandaVision, this is not a spoiler, but um, the ending shows a variety of uh, equipment in in some kind of facility. And one of the pieces of equipment is a mixing board that has become a pretty industry standard uh, mixing board for podcasters called a Roadcaster Pro. And I remember seeing that. I was like, I, I kind of jabbed lucky. I was like, is that Roadcaster Pro? And, and I don't know what that is, but also stop it. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I just, I, th I'm not going to bother to share a screen and show you, but I just thought it was kind of interesting that they showed this, uh, this, this mixing board because it looks like a sophisticated piece of, you know, uh, um, a technical, um, equipment. Now, one of the things that I did mention with regards to, uh, WandaVision is one of the criticisms is that not a lot happened. And I kind of thought an indication of that was how quiet Twitter would be on Friday mornings. Now, when uh, Mandalorian was in full swing, I've talked about this on the podcast before, those spoilers would be hot and heavy and in many cases, completely unavoidable. Um, what I found for the first few weeks WandaVision was on is that there really wasn't anything there. And I think maybe it was because folks didn't know what to make of it. Folks didn't know what to do with it other than complaining that there wasn't anything happening. But then at a certain point in, in the series, things take a turn and things start happening plot wise. And now I'm at, uh, I'm on Friday morning Twitter watch where I have to be very cautious and careful with, um, uh, what I'm looking at. I haven't had any of the major plot points spoiled for me yet. Um, unlike, uh, when I was watching Mandalorian, but, uh, but I have had some close calls and after watching the most recent episode, episode, uh, number seven, um, there there's i i have since been spoiled on stuff and i was like "Ooh, buddy i i dodged a bullet and i'm glad i watched it when i did <laughs> um but you know i check out the show it's you know if you if you're into this marvel stuff um it, it it's right up your alley and apparently these shows uh wandavision and upcoming falcon and the winter soldier uh loki and some of the others will have implications uh that and ramifications that go into the the movies which is going to be weird i don't know how they're going to square that circle because black widow is still a movie that has not come out yet and i think uh one of the characters from the black widow movie makes their way into falcon and winter soldier so i don't i don't I don't know how 
<laughs> I don't know how they're going to quite figure that one out yet. But um, but I, I, I guess uh, last thing to to, to just kind of uh, cap that off um, with, with regards to the whole water cooler conversation. I remembered when um, the episode of Mandalorian where Boba Fett returned and it was cool that that was able to be the entire narrative for that week or or even going further to last year where like there was so much hype for mandalorian it's like oh man the, this cool mando dude he's going on on uh, uh bounty hunting adventures and then um you get the reveal of of the baby yoda and then you're left with that for that entire week until the next episode. And then every episode throughout both season one and season two seem to have something in that a character reveal, like, you know, like uh, Rosario Dawson as as Ahsoka Tano, um, Katie Sokoff as as Bo-Katan. And anyway, so all, all these other um, kind of memeable moments in these episodes to where you kind of had this water cooler uh, discussion and um, I just call me crazy. Maybe it's it. Maybe it's the old HBO model, you know, uh, going all the way back to Sopranos, or maybe uh, even further back and carried through uh, Game of Thrones, and then uh, carried through with Watchmen. You know, the, these were all Sunday night shows, and so I don't I don't know exactly at what point the narrative shifted. I don't know why folks were patient to hang out for Game of Thrones and Watchmen, but waiting for Mandalorian and WandaVision test people's patience. Maybe it's different audiences. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not um, uh, seeing something. And again, uh, actual mileage may vary and your mileage may vary. But um, speaking of Boba Fett, and I, uh, I, I've, I, I, I've talked about this on uh, social media, and in fact, you know what? I think ah, screw it. I'm I'm gonna sh I'm gonna share my screen here. Let me see if I can, because uh, I'm already over time, and it's a uh, it, it it's it's kind of fun. Um, let me see if I can hear. Yeah, buddy, here we go. Let's uh let's bring that. Um, sideshow collectibles. Uh, uh, hot toys, Boba Fett. Um, I I I saw this making the rounds. Oh, the price is just right there too. Um, so the pre-order for this uh, for this action figure was announced, and as uh, you can't hear it on the podcast, but as you can see here on the live stream, it's a very cool, very detailed uh, rendition of Boba Fett as he is depicted in his uh, return in that episode of The Mandalorian. So he's got, you know, the heavily scarred armor and the black robes. And this is a figure that is very, very cool. Um, oh, this is the only screen you can see. Oh, no bother. Well, now, sorry, I'm just pressing buttons here and it's, it's, just, uh, it's just not working. Okay, well, I, I guess I can't do that view where it's uh, it's both things anymore. You know, and I even I even told myself that I was going to try to cool it with uh, with the screen sharing. And here I am back on my nonsense. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, we'll um, 
so yeah, so so this uh uh oh, that's not all right, I'm done screen sharing. Sorry. <laughs> I, I think I'm starting to get tired. Um anyway, I uh this the the sixth scale uh Boba Fett figure, um I had tweeted, you know, I, I had tweeted a couple different things saying like, oh hey man, my birthday is coming up. Oh man, Christmas is coming up. And I I posted a question more recently saying like what does one actually do with a premium format doll? And that's exactly what this is. It it's got it's got soft goods clothes and it's uh approximately uh 12 inches in scale. Um this isn't an action figure. It's a doll. Um and as I've talked about before, you know, I I was really um really stricken by that that episode of Mandalorian where where Boba Fett returns and i i have found even in the wake of that episode as time has passed um that you know i i've been a fan of Boba Fett for you know for for as long as i can remember but there's something about this version, this rendition that really resonates with me. I, I've I've discussed it before. I think a lot of it is because, you know, Tamara Morrison is now kind of like a paunchy dude. So seeing like a uh dad bod Boba Fett um is is just something that that's really cool. And it despite continuity where like Mandalorian is only supposed to take place like five years after Return of the Jedi. There's no rational reason why 60-year-old uh, Tamara Morrison uh, would be playing this version of the character, but this feels like the legacy version of the character that we could have seen in the sequel trilogy, you know, because we got, you know, old man Luke, old man Han, um, you know, you got you got Princess Leia, you got Chewbacca, you get you got, you know, kind of like the 30 years later versions of these characters and we didn't see boba fett in any of those movies so it feels like this this version of this this character i'm rambling um uh specifically for uh mandalorian here and so like like i said i don't think i'm being concise about it but but that but the, this this legacy version of this character really appeals to me and I kind of want this figure. But as you saw earlier when I had the screen shared, um, it, it comes in in two versions. There's a collector edition, which is basically just, you know, uh, old beat up Boba Fett. But then there's also a deluxe version where you actually get two dolls and you can do both of his looks, you know, both masked and unmasked uh, there. There's earlier in the episode where he's just running around in in black robes um before he uh spoilers reacquires his iconic mandalorian armor um that version the deluxe version where you get uh both dolls and a full uh battery of accessories that set is 495 dollars so that's a lot that's that's a bit out of my price range and Unmasked Boba Fett doesn't necessarily appeal to me as as much as the um, as the the uh, scarred armor 
uh, version. I'm trying to remember what the what the actual nom nomenclature is. Like you know, later on in the series when he repaints his armor, they they've since called that uh, rearmored. Um, but but I'm I'm getting lost in the minutia. Um, so this uh, collector's edition of the six scale uh, hot toys uh, Boba Fett figure uh, from Sideshow Collectibles. Um, so he comes with. Uh, let me see. I'm not going to read all this, but, but but basically he's got like all of the accessories that you need. He's got uh, several sets of hands, uh, several accessories, uh, a bunch of weapons, a bunch of blast effects, um, things like that. You know, more or less like this, it's a, a turbo deluxe version of this figure. Even at that, it's $285 for a 12 inch doll. Now, before uh, I'll save you a tweet or two. I know about hot toys. So I, I know I'm making it sound like uh, it's like, Oh my God, $285 for, for a doll. Um, no, I, I understand that hot toys are, you know, super duper high end collectible, uh, things with it, with, uh, with the reputation of being for that discerning collector. And I think that's part of the reason why I kind of want this because like, I, I don't think like a, a Hasbro action figure is going to capture this likeness as accurately or in as much detail as, as this. I mean, you know, he's got like a braided leather belt and, and rivets and loops in his uh, pistol holster and things like, you know, just, just an insane amount of detail. Um, but for my collection, I don't mess around with high-end stuff. You know, I, I have mainline versions or, or occasional deluxe versions. Like, for example, you know, probably like the, the most premium thing I've bought in the last year is uh, the G.I. Joe Classified Series Deluxe Snake Eyes. And that cost me 40 bucks instead of the 20 that the regular retail version costs. I bought that one, too did not buy that Fortnite version because that's also 40 bucks. And while the deco is nice, it comes with a bunch of dumb weapons that, that I just, I don't want. And it's not enough for the triple dip. But anyway, this, the, this, this Boba Fett kind of confounds me because I kind of want it, but I don't know if I can justify $285 for a doll. Um, now I also see very helpfully that they have a layaway flex plan starting at $51.30 a month. That's still $51 a month. And I don't know for how many months I can't do the, do the math. So I, I can't get this. It, it's just way out of my price range, but it, it reminds me of the reasons of, of which I have several that I passed on the Haslab Unicron. That's a that's a six hundred dollar giant figure. So for me, it it was a lot of things. It was the price point, but more than that, it was the scale, the size. Now I have had friends since now that I've started to build my Transformers the movie display. They're like, you could just put it right there, right on that shelving unit, right underneath the poster. But if I put it there, then I don't know where I would put my Studio Series eighty six figures. So. I, I, I digress. It's, it's a, it's a tangent within a tangent, but 
I, uh, I, I put out there, I was like, so what does one actually do with a premium format figure like this? Because again, I don't, I don't mess around with, with high-end collectibles like this. And, um, uh, Greg mentioned who posed, uh, posted a picture of his, uh, hot toys, Marty McFly back to the future figure. He's like, you pose it once and you leave it. And I'm like, all right, because that's the thing too. I don't know how fragile this is. It's like, can I play with it? Can I, you know, do like all these cool poses and, and mess around with it? I, am I going to break it? Is it, is it like a NECA figure where if like I breathe on it wrong, it's going to shatter. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't done enough product research on these things to know anything about it, but um, I got the best response ever though from um uh, cosplayer bono who was just recently a guest on uh, autopod decepticast she's like well raise it as your son so that's <laughs> i i you know in direct response to my what do you do with a 300 uh, premium format action figure um no it's a doll sorry <laughs> um but anyway yeah i mean you know hit hit me up on socials and let me know like i mean like um, I am in the process of assembling a team, a league, an alliance, if you will, of various uh, Transformers content creators who did uh, throw down for and purchase HasLab Unicron. And we're going to do a roundtable podcast, kind of like, I mean, if, if I can get if I can get uh, back on it and figure out the scheduling logistics. I would like to do it as two episodes, a before and after, you know, because like there's a lot of discourse, especially now that review copies are, are going out. There's there's a lot of discourse and a lot of just straight up complaining about this war for Cybertron uh, Unicron figure uh, that, that was um, crowdfunded through HasLab. Um, a lot of folks with a lot of polarizing opinions. So I would like to get those opinions from folks that actually put down their dollars to say that they want it. So um, uh, working on doing that in the next few weeks, but then also once these things actually ship in the end of March, um, do a follow-up once folks actually have their copies and, you know, kind of get a, get a temperature of what it's actually like now that, now that they got the, the things in hand. Um, last thing I want to cover is I just, I, I, you know, I, and I, um, promoted this at the beginning and then, then kind of when it went on tangents. Um, I, I wanted to let you know that I will be talking on, uh, March 7th in a couple weeks. Um, that's a, uh, Sunday, um, at 1230 Pacific time. It's going to be a live, uh, live stream interview. Uh, Sean O'Connell, uh, managing editor, editor of cinema blend and the author of the release, the Snyder cut, uh, book, uh, will be coming back onto the show to, um, one talk about the release of the book uh, again titled release the snyder cut colon the crazy true story behind the fight that saved Zack snyder's justice league and um to talk about the release of the book but also with it being a couple weeks before the uh release of jack snyder's 
Jack Snyder's Jesus, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League on HBO Max. Um, kind of get his hot takes. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, factions of the fandom, uh, which is something that uh, the Transformers fans can definitely relate with. Um, but yeah, I, it's just uh, I I just think it's going to be a really good conversation. So hang out with us live if you have your Snyder Cut related questions. Uh, make sure and bring them during the live show, and we will uh, uh, find time to handle those. Um, the the last thing I think the last thing on my list. Um, speaking of uh, the Snyder Cut and Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, I have not read it in its entirety because it just dropped today on Monday. Uh, but Vanity Fair just uh, put out a uh, expose interview article uh, with uh, Zack Snyder. Uh, after Zack Snyder quit Justice League, rumors swirled, fans got toxic, and the superhero movie tanked. Now the director tells his side of the story ahead of the hashtag Snyder Cut. Uh, that's the tweet that Vanity Fair uh, put out. Um, from what I've seen so far, uh, skimming through and chatting with friends and kind of being um, on social media, it, it paints Zack Snyder in a very uh, sympathetic light. And that's some of the stuff that we will talk about with uh, Sean O'Connell in a couple weeks. Uh, he interviewed uh, Zack Snyder a couple times for, for the book, if I'm not mistaken. And I, I for one, have... Oh, man, I, I wish I did this earlier in the episode when I had a, had a little more gas. My, my apologies. Uh, because I, I have very unique and conflicted and contradictory views and relationship toward uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League or the Snyder Cut of Justice League. I don't like those movies. I really don't like uh, Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice. And, you know, I, I want to say like the first three years of uh, my broadcasting is is pockmarked with with me clowning on that movie in 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 various contexts. And even going further back than that, I hate Man of Steel. I really hate that movie. Um, and and it's because of Zack Snyder's treatment of the Superman character. And that's fine if you like it. It's okay to like a movie. My interest in the Snyder Cut, though, is that it's the greatest cinematic curiosity of our generation. Does it exist? Does it not exist? And because... Zack Snyder himself is such a larger-than-life figure, even in victory, can't leave well enough alone. And he, th there, there's always some kind of drama and some kind of new wrinkle to keep the Snyder Cut stuff in the news cycle, but then also to um, give us something to talk about. That that's saying the same thing. That's still in the news cycle, but but it it's like increasingly ridiculous stuff like for example uh today on monday uh they uh released uh, another photo of jared leto as the joker this time he's all done up like jeebus and i just um i i just don't understand i don't understand why Zack snyder is so fixated on on uh, uh jesus icon iconography of 
if anybody needs to make a Optimus Prime movie, it would be Zack Snyder, uh, what with all the Jesus allegory and and whatnot. But um, I mean, there's there's like the Jared Leto Joker stuff. There's like the bonkers aspect ratio that that he's cropped uh, this cut of the movie into, and it's just it's it's just so very bizarre, and um, it's it's hard. I, I found it to be very difficult to uh, decide definitively where I want to. Do I want to make fun of this or do I want to sympathize? Like on one hand, I am enamored with the narrative that talks about in his book, uh, released the Snyder Cut, where he um, does interviews and spotlights on these people that he met and interacted with to where this movement meant something to them. It's easy for folks like us to dismiss the Snyder Cut fandom as as fanatic uh, CrossFit dude bros. But as, the, as Sean O'Connell told me back in August when I first interviewed him, it's like, I am sure those fans are out there, but those aren't the folks that I met. Those aren't the folks I'm interacting. What I think has changed between then and now, and I I was surprised that it hadn't happened when we talked in August. I wondered at what point would the uh, more fanatical, aggressive arm of the Zack Snyder, Snyder Cut fandom would start gatekeeping against uh this guy uh sean o'connell of uh um cinema blend and in the last couple months um they really have and you know they they've said some you know really mean-spirited things and it's all gatekeeping um almost like the the folks that are gatekeeping the movement don't want new people because like you know they they've done the same thing that we've seen done to so many others on social media as they go back and dig up old tweets. Uh, Sean O'Connell was kind of famously not into Man of Steel. I don't remember where he uh, landed on on Batman v Superman, but but they they found like a half dozen tweets about him uh, being critical of Zack Snyder and of Zack Snyder's movies and really using that as ammunition to just drag this dude where the reality of it is and and some of these blinded fans can't see is more or less this dude followed a story from his own you know curiosity and and um you know journalistic pursuit you know being being a a um a film reporter um found himself enamored and ultimately converted because of the cool folks that he met and what that movement meant to him or or what the movement meant to the people that he interviewed it's like wow um you know i i can see the sense of uh community that that you folks have found over fandom of well not just fandom of the, of a particular movie but of uniting for a cause to bring a version of a movie to life. And it's hard for me to be smart-mouthed about that, and I try. But what I do find, though, is that there, again, there, there, there are those more aggressive factions 
of that fandom um because i i see i see how they tweet it at sean and and i mean good for him for for i mean he, he's just he's just been a a beacon of uh politeness and positivity so i'm really excited to get him back on the show and um see if there's a few things he can set me straight on because if you go back and listen to that interview from august there's a couple things that that i kind of had wrong that he kind of set me straight on so i i like the story as i said i think it's the the greatest cinematic curiosity of our generation and i think the story of the movement is a fascinating one now do i think the movie's going to be any good i don't i truly don't but much like a horrific car wreck i kind of want to see it do i see wait a sec did did i I think I think I said that backwards. I think I think I just uh, signed myself up for a Cronenberg uh, type of type of movie there. Um, but I again, I, I think it's going to be terrible. I, I think it's going to be like spectacularly terrible. It's a four hour movie. Um, and I just I don't know. I, I just um, I'm beside myself now. Granted, lengthier director's cuts for a Zack Snyder movie are not unheard of. Like the ultimate edition of Watchmen, I think clocks in at just around four hours. Now, granted, it also incorporates like an hour of animated footage from the uh, the the Curse of the Black Freighter uh, portions that that didn't make it into the movie. But um, I, I want to say that the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman is almost three hours, um, and you know, I, I've said before, you know, do you really want more to make something better? Like, I, I literally just had a conversation with somebody at work today where it's like, oh, well, you know, if you watch that ultimate cut of Batman v Superman, it's it's more it's more concise. I'm like, well, more concise doesn't make it. Um, why why would I want more of something I don't like? That'd be like, you know, trying to trying to get me more Yellowstone episodes um and maybe i'll start liking it more no i'm probably gonna like it less um you get the idea i i'm i'm guessing it drops on a thursday night probably at midnight there's gonna be folks that they're gonna stay up until four o'clock in the morning to watch all four hours of of the movie and that just that just doesn't sound like any fun and i don't know about anybody else but i got a full-time job and i work for a living i just i don't i don't i don't know where I'm going to find the time to watch a four hour uh, movie. I mean, I'm probably going to have to watch it in, in pieces. I liked it better when it was going to be a TV show because to loop things all the way to, to tie all these strings together, you know, I, I would almost prefer to have that water cooler uh, type division where it's like WandaVision, like it's Mandalorian. Now, granted, it's probably more like siege, uh, War for Cybertron uh, trilogy, uh, Transformers on on Netflix, where it's you know one movie broken into four parts, but still that would at least give folks time to digest it. And maybe because it is a singular movie, it's not appropriate to digest like for one week um, or or four weekly uh, chunks. But releasing it as as a four hour movie. And I don't know, maybe I just thought of this, maybe, 
maybe it it is Zack Snyder and the studio kind of uh, thumbing their nose at content creators. It's like, here you go. Here's four hours of content. Go uh, go review it. Um, and yeah, I I don't know. It's just uh, uh, stay tuned. I will I will uh, let you know what what I ended up uh, what I end up uh, deciding because um, I would really like to be a part of that conversation, but. Again, I, I don't know if I can I, I don't know if I could stomach four hours of dour uh, Zack Snyder Justice League um, uh, in two days. Um, I want to close out with uh, with uh, um, a shout out to some new friends. Now, uh, my buddy Nick um, uh, around Seattle um, put out a tweet uh, a couple days ago, wondering if there will ever be a crossover episode of Mike Seibert Radio hop heroes podcast and the comics place well uh my dude nick is uh probably uh what one of my oh gosh i i I don't know how to underscore uh nick's influence on on me and and the show i've called him the shadow producer in the past but like he he's been instrumental in just um encouraging me and others to make friends it's like i listen to all these different podcasts and all these podcasters should be friends so like you know some of these tweets will come out from time to time and long story short i was like yeah man snap i'm i'm down to clown um so i've i've uh started conversations with uh the hop heroes podcast it's a show about comics movies tv beer and more comics it is hosted by jordan zach jr and Vinny, and we're uh, uh we're looking at scheduling currently uh trying to uh figure out uh potentially a mega crossover uh where they would join me for an episode of my show and then i would stick around and join them for an episode of their show um so we're still hammering out the logistics uh we don't have it quite set yet but um uh but stay tuned i will i will keep you in the loop on that and i just um yeah i i I just think it's so cool uh when folks that are fans of things can you know kind of see the board in a way that you know when i'm here doing this i don't necessarily see it but it's like hey you see those folks over there they're pretty cool you should be friends with them and i was like yes i should be friends with them um and and that will wrap things up for this week's episode uh thank you so much for listening and for watching if you would like to check out my podcast mike cyber radio uh it is you can subscribe on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher uh tune in spotify wherever the heck else you get your podcasts and you can check out all of my shows the entire show archive is available out on soundcloud over 300 episodes and five years worth of mike cybert radio is available out there uh like share rate and review the show let us know what you like and what you like to hear more of in the future uh special thanks to my dude dave sanders for uh our production elements uh mike cybert radio is uh powered by poddex and until next time until all are one keep washing your hands keep wearing your mask and as always make good choice good night
You've been listening to the Mike Seibert Radio Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at Mike Seibert Radio. Email us at MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com. The spelling on that, of course, is S-E-I-B-E-R-T. Call into the voicemail hotline at 231-224-MIKE. Once again, that's 231-224-6453. Special thanks to Michael Geisler for our theme music. For more like it, check out ByDoorMusic.com. This has been a Mike Seibert Radio Production.